From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and self-acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is Brianna, aka The Red Girl, one of the first public trans women on YouTube. Well, the bio said I'm a gadget builder, and I, I built this arcade machine from scratch. Mm-hmm. I'm like pieces of plywood and a raspberry pi. It's currently just running a, a video of a bunch of the things that are on it. So mm. not playing anything specific, although right now it's playing Ghost Files Tournament Tactics is what it says for Game Boy Advance. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, you've got all, like, all kinds of stuff on there. Like, like 50,000 games over here at least. So. <laughs> that's, that's at least a good start, I'd say. <laughs> this is my 2019 project. So it was, uh, it was fun. So you said, um, you, you mentioned the wood. Did you build that? Your, you, you cut out all the wood pieces yourself from like a template? Yeah, not even a template. We, 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 uh, my wife and I, we found a, a pattern online and we just measured it out and uh, sort of hoped we would get it right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did. And we did. That's awesome. It took a while. It took like a month to really get it together and working exactly the way I wanted it to, but we're happy with it. The only thing that's missing is people for our retro gaming party because, let's face it, those are the best. Uh huh. Um, yeah, we we're already getting uh, requests in the audience for um, those for sale. So if you want to make some money on the side, you've got a, uh, you've already got your first customers lining up. Oh gosh, <laughs> be trouble. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into your story now. When did mm-hmm. you first realize you were different? What were those clues when you were a kid? Well, I was about four years old when I knew something wasn't right. Um, that. You know, I identified more with the girls in the neighborhood than the boys in the neighborhood. I really felt I was supposed to be like them. Um, I can remember uh, asking my mom um, when I was young why I looked like my dad when I knew I was supposed to look like her, which is why my mom knew, I mean, when I knew. And in kindergarten also, I always wanted to be on the girl side of things when we would be separated for activities because that's where I felt I belonged, either be it in gym class or in kindergarten when we were playing house you know i felt i should have been the housewife and i said i was always getting you know brought in to be the husband and the guy who was carrying the briefcase around and, and none of that was right and i knew it wasn't right even though beyond what i would said to my mom i couldn't really articulate that to anybody so when did you realize that when did you finally realize that what it was was that you were a trans even not knowing the word trans by the time puberty hit is when i really knew that Oh God, I'm supposed to be a girl and I'm not. How do I reconcile this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like puberty struck for me, I guess it was around the, the sixth grade and it became this all encompassing thing where I just, I knew that's what I was supposed to be. I didn't have a word for it still. I hadn't heard the word transgender. Mm-hmm. didn't watch TV shows like Jerry Springer where that stuff was actually on. So I didn't hear about it like that, but I knew. And it had a huge impact on my mental health at the time, let me tell you, because I went from being like a straight A student to the seventh grade, and I was a straight D student, because all I could think about were my gender-related issues, mm-hmm. especially because I thought I was the only one in the world that was like that. Well, yeah, and then that's, I mean, I mean, it's a difficult time for everyone, but specifically, you know, as trans, and you're realizing this is wrong, and you've got to like, that's when they start making you like change in the locker room and, and shower together and all this stuff, and it's just like, oh, this isn't right. Which is why I never went to gym class after I always found a way out because I didn't belong in those spaces. Uh huh. Right? I didn't belong with the guys. And mm-hmm. My body was betraying me in ways I didn't understand. What were some of the, the, the things you struggled with? I guess you sort of covered this, but was there anything else that you, you struggled with during that time until you actually finally came out as transgender? Uh, it's trying to 
build the facade that so many of us build was really hard because it was so unnatural trying to, you know, man up as it were, mm-hmm. you know, in the eighth grade and beyond. And, and I did it and I was very successful at it despite being so the slightly strange effeminate kid, mm-hmm. um, right? When I, when I started to man up a little bit more, I was accepted more, people liked me more, but that just caused more issues. And that was a really hard thing for me to do. And then it became hard to unlearn later. <laughs> just it's such a mess right yeah in fact i got so good at defending myself from bullies i could turn their words around and make them cry Hmm. that's so good and i still have that to this day i just have to bite my tongue when i get angry because as my wife would say i don't get angry i get spiteful and it's really bad (laughs) (sighs) okay note to self stay on brianna's good side all right all right (laughs) too much fun so how did you um, first come out in the various aspects of your life? Uh, where did you come out? Who did you come out to first? Well, I was coming out to myself first. Right? <laughs> yeah. It was uh, before high school had ended in the very early days of the Internet. This is 1992 and the Internet was text. It wasn't graphics yet. Mm-hmm. I was browsing through um, Usenet news groups. Some of you might remember, you know, as you know, alt.sex.something weird or whatever. But that's where I found alt.sex.transsexual. And I said, oh, what's, what's this all about? And I went into that and there was this whole discussion about being trans. And I saw the word transgender for the first time and these people talking about things that I had experienced my entire life. And that was <clears throat> revelation. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't alone. There was a word for it. There was something that could be done about it. Mm-hmm. And that was probably like, the most impactful moment of my life was that night reading through all that stuff and then reading all through more of it. So much so that I was able to um, track down one very quiet private group in the town that I grew up in that was for trans people. And I tried to transition back then. So I came out to them first, this group of people that I didn't know. Okay. And you know, they told me where I needed to go and to talk to a doctor and do all these things. And I got in the program at age 18 and without going into all the details, it just, it didn't end well. And I didn't end up transitioning to, till 2007, but I was there and I tried. And 2007 came was when I really came out, mm-hmm. transitioned and made it work. Was that a really, you know, I can't... oh, sorry. I was gonna say, was no, that a really difficult, uh, was that a really difficult period for you there in between where you've, you've come to this, like, you know, they, they say, you know, you, your egg cracked, but um, your egg cracked at four, but it shattered open um, yes. then in the, in the 90s. And then you kind of had to, to put it away for till the 2000s. Was that period um, kind of more rough than it had been before? Or were you able to kind of deal with it because you, you had a grasp of things? I, I was able to, to deal with it. But as most people with dysphoria know, it, it would come and go in waves. Right? Mm-hmm. There would be times where it would be impossible to deal with and other times where it would be just fine. And I would never know when it would be or when it wouldn't be. And, you know, and it was it was it was harder to deal with until around the year 2000 or so. And I don't know what changed then, but it became a lot easier to deal with after that. Hmm. And I didn't think about it a whole lot during that time, which I think I was just suppressing it because when 2007 rolled around, it really exploded and it, messed, and it really messed me up. Mm. What was your family's level of, of acceptance at that time? Had you come out to them yet? Uh, I I come out to my mom the first time around because okay. uh, because of the questions I asked her when I was young and I was like, Mom, I'm trans. And she's like, Yeah, well, what else is new? And it was like that sort of thing. Plus, you know, when I was a kid, I, she let me play with Darby Barbies and you know, Cabbage Patch Kids and Care Bears, and along with all the boy toys too. But I definitely had 
you know, a lot of girly toys. And, and my parents, for at least my mom, was, was very good with that. Mm-hmm. And then in, when I came out in 2007, again, my mom was like, so it's going to work this time? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah. And my, my dad was not particularly good about that. And that took him, you know, 10 years to come around. I know that uh, in our previous discussion, we talked about um, your family, um, your kind of greater family, and you had some some kind of uh, surprises there. How did the, the greater family take it? The background is I come from an old order Mennonite family. And for those people who don't understand what that is, it's like Amish, but with technology. Basically, that's what that is. And I thought for sure that coming out to them was just going to be you know, written out of the family forever, but <laughs> worst case scenario, right? And that's the expectation that I went in with. And yet, my grandparents were like, "Sure, okay, cool." And I was like, "Wait, what?" Right? And they, they, uh, I just couldn't believe it. My grandparents were great. Uh, everybody else, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, not so much. But uh, my grandparents, unquestioningly, were like, "Yeah, this, mm-hmm. you, we're, we're we're fine with that." So, which which blew me away. So how how much of a factor was that for you at that time? Again, you've you've come out once and you went through that and you had to kind of put it away and then you came out again. You've got the full support of your mom. You've got, you know, your grandparents. Your dad's not on board. Um, what was your overall feeling with that? Did, did you feel like you had the support behind you? I felt that needed? I had enough support. Yeah, I did. Yes, because mm-hmm. uh, when I when I came out the second time, I was able to to reach back to people I knew in the 90s. And they were able to help me out and set me up with my first support group. And that's where I met women who were amazing, who I'm still friends with to this day. Because, you know, when you go through something together at the same time, it mm-hmm. builds bonds that just don't break. And, yeah. And, and it was so, so helpful to get involved with that group and meeting all these people. And I got more support there than from family. But you know, having my mom was nice. And having my grandparents was nice. But it was was the support community of like-minded people that really made the difference. And it's it's always a, a big thing, right? Where you you have you have support from people, but it's 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 so much nicer when you have the group that are all going through the same thing. Like you said, you've got that kind of kindred spirit thing, but then also you don't have to explain anything ever. They all That's just right. get it. They just get it. You just bounce issues off each other and you don't have to have any backstory to it because we just know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, outside of family, how how did the other realms go? We've got work and friends. How was um? Start, well, okay, go for it. I'll let you choose which sure. one you want to start with. <laughs> I'll start with friends. Friends was was a mixed bag. Uh, some were great, some were not. Uh, people I thought would be great weren't. People I thought would be terrible were great, and some in between. Uh, I think the the thing that was most notable was that the people I grew up with, like the people I went to kindergarten through, you know high school with they were great they they were like yeah you know we always kind of knew you were a bit lost and this all sort of makes sense and, okay and those people stayed with me but the people i met after high school a few did but most didn't wow hmm. yeah and at work well work was work was a disaster you know, <laughs> it was um i uh um i worked at a telecom company i had been at a large corporation at one point and i got burnt out on that and downsized myself to a smaller a uh, private telecom company that was Christian owned and operated. Should have seen the writing on the wall with that, but I didn't think anything <laughs> of it at the time. Uh, but when I came out, I went from like the prodigal son who could do no wrong to persona non grata very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, not to say that there weren't allies there, there were a few, but you know, it went very badly and I ended up getting fired from that job and blacklisted from the entire industry. 
Oh, oh, uh, yeah. God, thank, thank God it's a different time now. Um, yes. Oh, my goodness. There were no protections at the time mm-hmm. for, for that sort of thing. And, uh, and despite the fact that I lived in a place where at-will employment wasn't a thing, you know, the only way they could get rid of me was to lay me off, and they had to be able to provide a reason to you know, the Labor Relations Board. And so they just axed my entire department in order to get rid of me, mm-hmm. which they conveniently brought back a few months later. <laughs> just reformed the whole band but without without you yeah um we sort of covered this but um i'll let you elaborate on it a little bit uh, did you have any support from people that you weren't expecting uh well i my grandfather was by far the the, the biggest one and in our conversation yesterday as um i brought up that um he died in 2009 and we, he knew he was dying and we knew he was dying and the the day before he died i went to visit him in the hospital and we had the the best conversation two human beings can ever have. He told me exactly why he supported me. He said he knew I'd always been hurting and he didn't know why and couldn't ask why. He knew that that I had been searching for something I couldn't find Mm -hmm. and that he could tell that when I had come out to him that a weight had lifted off my heart and he gave me all these reasons why even the Bible told him that he had to love me. And it was it was really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Told me told me I was his favorite grandchild, and, and just it was it was incredible. And to this day, it still gets me. I mean, my best friend growing up was the one person I thought was going to love me forever, but they they ended up disowning me. That was another big surprise. Ugh. They ended up turning turning pretty nasty. Ugh. I, I I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, uh, yeah. spouses, I understand. Like when you, ha- when you're in a committed relationship and you've got expectations of like, you know, who you're attracted to and that kind of stuff. Like I understand where there can be issues there, but friends, yeah. like it doesn't make any freaking sense. It's weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's it to you? It's weird. Well, I can't, speaking of spouses, my relationship at the time survived my coming out. We ended up breaking up for other reasons, but it survived that. So I mm-hmm. think you just never know. Well, that's a that's a good one to get into. I didn't. Um, I just kind of skipped over that. Uh, how did that go? How did you come out to them? Uh, the day everything fell apart. I mean, they they knew that I was trans because when we first got together, I explained to them that this is a part of who I was, but mm. I hadn't planned to do anything about it. And we had got together in 1995. All right, so this is 2007. All these years later, and I said, "Well, something's happened, and now I'm doing something about it." And she was like, "Yeah, I kind of figured this day would probably come eventually." And, mm-hmm. and it was it was tough, but we were able to at least get through that until other things got in the way. What were some of the key things that you learned in coming out to them and having those conversations? Uh, I've learned that uh, people don't always appreciate honesty. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? It's uh, I learned that people aren't what you always think they are. Mm. Right. It's, people will surprise you. Yeah. And I mean that in a mostly positive way. People will surprise you in beautiful and wonderful ways that you don't expect. Sure, some will hurt you, but the ones that surprise you in that positive way, it at least sticks with you more than the negative ones do. Because over time, those negative things have faded away, but the positive ones are easy to remember. Did any of your um, transition goals shift as you went through it? Uh, sort of, yeah, they did. Um, when I first came out, I made a list of goals. Um, I wrote them down one at a time. These are the things that I need to do. And um, <clears throat> every time I tried to change that, 
it would always follow the exact order and time that I put on my list, except for one. Because when I had first done this, um, when I first came out, surgery really meant a great deal. It's one of those things I really felt I needed to have because my genital dysphoria was really, really strong. Uh, but as I grew more comfortable and confident in myself and had the love and support of people around me, that level of importance started to fall off for me. And that went off the list. And uh, while it did eventually happen, um, it felt like closure to me instead of this, like a lot of people who get it, it's it's a big, exciting, amazing event. And that's wonderful. I really think it should be that way. Uh, And for me, it was just this feeling of, yep, that's finally it. It's closed. It's done. I don't have to worry about it. <sighs> I still have one goal on my list, by the way. What's that? I was gonna. I was trying to find the piece of paper that I had written on. It was goal number one, and it was change the world. And it was. It's still underlined, and that one is ongoing. Perspective that I have. What I heard from some of the girls is just you know, you were one of the first that was out there and visible for them to see. You had your YouTube channel, and it was one of the early ones where you were talking openly and candidly about your journey. And um, I think that changed the world for a lot of people. I think you're probably right. It, it took me a long time to realize that, but I mm-hmm. think you're right. I mean, to this day, I still get people on Instagram or Facebook or wherever they, they find me and they mention how much my videos changed their lives. Or they've seen them years ago or they just saw them before I took them down. I think, I think they're still private, but anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they'd seen them and they reached out and they, it, it just gets me every time. What was it that made you take that leap and decide to take this thing that um, was, a, was a struggle in some ways, but was good in other ways, and, and turn it into something that you were very public about? It came down to that I wanted someone to talk to who wouldn't judge me. As it turns out, talking to a camera is a great way to do that. <laughs> right? It was really my personal diary that I decided to put out there to, you know, show other people, show the world that you know, we're just human with hopes and dreams, and we go through these things, and they they're they're scary and they're strange, but they're all part of the human experience. It's all normal. I'm trying to normalize things, mm-hmm. and if other trans people found it and got something out of it, that would be wonderful. I've heard this one a few times from a few people, and then it's and I never really know what to say is when people tell me that. I saved their life mm-hmm. because they were at a terrible low point in their lives and they stumbled across my videos and they saw this positive person throwing themselves out there, showing them what trans people can be and what life can be like. And that saved them, literally saved them. And when someone tells me that I, to this day, I, I don't really know what to say to that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's very humbling. <laughs> and I, I never really know what to say, but I'm really glad that I was able to be there for you in some way. Of your goals, of you know, um, hormones or the surgeries that you, that you had, um, or any other aspects of the the transition, what was the single, what had the single biggest effect on confirming what you felt inside? Uh, definitely hormones. Starting HRT was monumental for me, uh, and back when I was doing it, it was a lot harder to get on them. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to see the different therapists and you had to get diagnosed and you had to wait and to get referred all the way up this line. It was a process that would take a year mm-hmm. uh, in some cases. I was lucky I managed to do it in six months, but getting on hormones felt like the biggest life-changing event ever. 
Hmm. Even worse than, than coming out had felt. And looking back on it, I still think that was by far the biggest moment. It changed how I felt. It changed so many things, especially like about three months after. But okay. even like the very day and the very days after, it was just like, I can't believe I did it. It's here. This is big. It's happening. It's real. Mm-hmm. It made it very real. It was, it was tremendously exciting. What role did therapy play throughout your transition? It was a big deal. I mean, I've often said to folks, never underestimate the value of a good therapist because they can help you with so many things. And my therapist was wonderful. She, she helped me work through, God, so many childhood traumas related to being trans that I hadn't really even realized were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, helped, helped me with my goal setting, with the things I'd written down, how to achieve them. And even though, like I said, I tried to change a few, it still just worked out. And, uh, and just getting me more in touch with myself. The best therapists don't have all the answers, but they will encourage you to find the right ones for you. So these days, how confident and valid do you feel as a woman? I feel wonderfully confident and valid. I mean, I, I have my moments like anybody else has, but it's been so long at this point that now this is the only, this is the only life I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I go into everything just as myself. I don't really worry about it anymore. So yeah, I feel very valid and very confident. Did um, how long did it take for you to get to that point where you where you where being trans kind of fell away and was less of the focus and you just blended in and felt like a woman? I guess it was about five years is when that really started to happen. Was around around twenty twelve. Um, trying to remember the conversation that I had a conversation with somebody about it where. Um, I think I said something ridiculous to the fact of I don't think I need to be trans anymore. <laughs> it was something some, some ridiculous like that. But mm-hmm. it, it was just trying to get the, the, the thought across that I think I've crossed this threshold now where, you know, I'm obviously still trans, I will always be. But that transition part is there and the woman part is really very much here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's definitely what we all try to get to is and and it's just funny we, we you know, for us, those of us starting, it seems it seems so far off. It's it's like a distant, foggy dream. Um, it does. And- <laughs> it does. It's like I tell friends, like when you start this journey, uh, it feels like you're rolling down a hill that's really like a one percent grade. They're <laughs> going really, really slow, and nothing's happening. And then one day, you're suddenly a snowball barreling down a mountain. Everything's happening really, really fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, oh, what's happened? <laughs> Um, so do you, you sort of alluded to this, do you still feel dysphoric at times and what causes that? A little bit, but not very much. Um, like there will still be times where I'll be out and I'll, you know, I'll see a woman on the street or on TV or something and there'll be something about her that I wish I could emulate, but probably can't, or there's something about her body that I like, or there's just something that makes me feel like, oh yeah, that's, that's just something I'll never have. And interestingly enough, I've had this conversation with a cis woman friend and I, I tell her these feelings and she's like, every woman feels that it's just envy of other women. Mm-hmm. And yet to me, it still feels kind of like dysphoria. And I, I find it interesting how those two feelings can be linked that way. Yeah. So now I'll take the time to think about it. What am I really feeling here? Is mm. this really dysphoria or is it just envy or is it a bit of both? And then sometimes it's one or the other or both, but I'm getting better at figuring out which one is which. Mm. What were the biggest hurdles you ran into in, in your transition? It sounds like um, getting it started was a big one. Sure, that was. Um, the hardest thing 
was the thing that we all tell each other, honestly. It was just be yourself. And learning how to just be myself was really, really hard. Hmm. You know, I had all these years where I said, where I built that facade. It was really hard to, to, to crack that down. And there was all these expectations that people had of me. Uh, I wasn't even entirely sure who I really was. And so just, just being myself was a work in progress. And it still is mm-hmm. to this day. And maybe I'll get there, maybe I won't. But truly, between like the coming out process, it was just truly being myself. And, uh, and what I've realized is when I'm being 100% authentic, it's not a person that everybody likes because real me has boundaries. <laughs> real, real me is, uh, doesn't put up with a lot of crap. And mm-hmm. whereas before, I just let people walk all over me and I would give everything to everybody and I was a people pleaser. And I don't do that anymore. And people tend to not like that when you change. The other side of it, what were some of the biggest uh, uh, learning curves that you had, things you had to get used to? How do you get used? Well, I mean, honestly, the learning curve of learning to be me, I'm still, I'm still working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, despite being a people pleaser, uh, learning how to listen to people, learning how to like take criticism without just melting into a puddle of goo. Um, <laughs> It's true though. Like when when people criticize, it it can be tough. And yet, I had one friend, uh, Christine, who we transitioned at the same time. And when she would like grab me by the shoulders and hey, smarten the heck up, right? I would listen, mm-hmm. but it was hard to if other people did, right? It was it, that was a big learning curve. Hmm. Maybe not a traditional one, but a big one. So, what do you feel the effect that transitioning had on your mental health? It was huge. I mean, it, it was so big that um, I used to get, and I still do, like, I've been a migraine sufferer my entire life. Mm. Um, but when I came out, uh, I didn't have a migraine from an enti- for an entire year. And I used to get at least one a month, sometimes two. My, my seasonal affective disorder, while I still have it, is far less severe. Uh, my regular depressive episodes are not nearly as bad as they used to be. Uh, Coming out and transitioning allowed me to feel real joy, something that I didn't really even think existed. Mm-hmm. I, I read about it in books and saw it in movies, and I, I never thought the joy was real until after transition and I experienced it. You know, it's like like seeing the world in color after only knowing black and white all your life. <laughs> How did you choose your name? Hmm. Well, I didn't. Uh, okay. My friend, my friends chose it for me. Had they not picked it, I would have been like a Melissa, probably, possibly a Rebecca. But all my friends were like, no, Brianna is your name. That suits you perfectly. You've got the hair, you've got the look. Your name is Brianna. That's all there is to it. And they wouldn't take no for an answer. And it just kind of stuck. And, and how I picked my surname mm-hmm. was almost as interesting. It's because I couldn't, I couldn't decide what surname I wanted, literally. I had like 10 of them that I thought would all be really good. And, and this is no lie. I wrote them all down on little slips of paper, crumpled them up and put them in a hat and picked out a name. And that's what I went with. What is the key advice that you have for um, young or closeted trans people? It's the one piece of advice I've been giving for years and years and years. And it's the one thing I think I'm pretty good at giving for this piece of advice. It's uh, whatever you choose to do, whether it's come out or not come out, transition or not transition, start hormones, have surgery, 
and even all of it is whatever you do, do it for you. Do it for you and you alone. Don't do it for anybody else. Don't do it because your friends are doing it or don't not do it because your parents said no or whatever you do, do it for you. Because in the end, the person you're most accountable to in this life is yourself. Mm -hmm. And and whatever you're comfortable with, like even if you're trans and you know it, but but you're legitimately fine with not doing anything about it, do that for you. And that's okay. There's no wrong way to be trans. Just be you. The only person you're ever answerable to at the end of the life is, is yourself. I know we talked about this yesterday, but we didn't get to talk about it today, that if my heart tells me to do something, I, I do it because it's never wrong. And I'm not afraid of taking that risk and trying to make that change. If I fail, I'll try something else. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show, for sharing so much of your story and being willing to be open and, and hopefully help a lot of people out there again. <laughs> Thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to put my face back out there in something like this. It's been a long time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash the transverse and be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the transverse.